Happy Father's Day. If you'll turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we'll read from chapter 127, verses 1 through 5. That is the book of Psalms, chapter 127, verses 1 through 5. And it reads as follows. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children, are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Thank you, and please be seated. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today. It's always a privilege and a pleasure for me to uh, be with you in worship service. What beautiful singing we've had today, and I want to commend you for the wonderful way that you've entered into our worship, for the fine leadership we've had in our worship, uh, the singing of these songs and the scripture readings and, and the prayers and the men who have waited on the table for us. We're always very grateful for these men. Today I'd like to talk about fathers. And as you would suspect, the calendar says today is Father's Day, a day that is set aside to honor our fathers and show respect to them. And uh, we are very grateful for all the fine Christian fathers we have in this auditorium today. Uh, Father's Day can be a difficult day, I know. Uh, My father passed away some time ago, back in 2001. And um, I remember uh, I was speaking at Fried Hardeman University in a lecture, giving a lecture there, and I got to word my dad had a heart attack. It just never occurred to me that he would have a heart attack, and, but he did, and, and he lived several years after that, and I'm grateful for that, but he's gone now. If I have to pause here and there to gather myself, it's not for dramatic effect, I assure you. It's just that I miss him so much, and today's kind of a hard day, too. It's a wonderful day to be a father and to commend these fine men. But sometimes it can be a hard day as well as we miss the ones we love so much. Sometimes people will come into my office and and they will uh, talk to me about some of their problems. And they'll complain about their father. Their father did this to them when they were a child or their father did that to them. Or, you know what my father said to me and I listen very patiently because I know it's important to them. But then eventually I will say, you know, I wish I could go to my father and talk to him. My father's gone. I wish I could go talk to him. There's some questions I'd like to ask him again. There's things I'd like to hear from him once again. I can't do that, but you still can. Why don't you go to your father and talk to your father and ask him questions. Ask him questions about what it was like when he was a boy what it was like when he was a young man. Come to realize as you get older, Father really did know best in a lot of the things that he said and a lot of the things that he did. Well, I want to study that with you today. There was an old television program made me think of this point. It was in the 50s, which most of you, I'm sure, don't know anything about. 
But in the 1950s, there was a program called Father, Father Knows Best, and I always enjoyed watching that program. Very interesting television program. That's back when you could watch television. Today, it's not so easy. But I want to talk about the ultimate father who always knows best. And I can learn some things from him as a father, and you can too, and make our responsibility as fathers more like what they ought to be. One of the things I want to study today, fathers provide. And I want to look at how God provides. Then I want to talk about a second point, how fathers teach. Now, our Heavenly Father's taught us in wonderful ways. And then I want to look at our Father's discipline and how fathers can learn from the discipline of God for their families and their children. And then the fourth point I want to talk about today, Father's love. How God really loves us and how fathers love their children. And this is a wonderful example for us to study and to learn to be better fathers. After all, look at the advantage that we have because of our fathers. Why, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for our fathers. But we have wonderful advantages because of our Father, the things that He's taught us, and uh, the things that we've learned from Him. Fathers bring a different perspective to the family. God knew what He was doing when He had mother and father joined together to have children. A father brings certain perspective to a family. This can be done. This is what we do to fix this. This is a hands-on way of solving this problem. Whereas a mother comes on the scene and she's more sensory and more feeling and more compassionate. And she adds that dimension to the family. It's probably been over 20 years now, but I read a book one time called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. And I think, uh, I thought that was a very unusual um, title, so I read the book. And I'm glad I did, because it really pointed out the differences to me between the husband and the father and the wife and the mother. I also read a book a number of years ago. It's probably been that long ago. I'm trying to think the title of it. Man of Velvet and Steel. I can't recall the um, author. But fathers, you ought to read that book too. Now, in addition to whatever the Bible teaches, there's a good book that will help. For example, Moses was a man of velvet. He would go before God and plead for the children of Israel and beg God's forgiveness, and in turn beg God to spare them. He was so considerate of the children. But yet when he came down from the mountain and he saw that they'd built a golden calf, he had them grind that golden calf up and scattered on their water and told them not drink that water. He was a man of steel. He could be a man of velvet, feeling, considerate, tender-hearted, but he could also be a man of steel, wanting to do the will of God and insisting that it always be done. A father needs to be a man of velvet and a man of steel. When we follow the teaching of our Heavenly Father, we know that we are following the prime example. Christian fathers has as their priority the salvation of their family. They want their family to be saved. Uh, we want this as Christian fathers. We want our children to be members of the church and to be faithful members of the church. We want, as our children, we want them to be healthy, and we pray for their health, and we pray for their success, and we pray for their wisdom. I want my children to be wise. I want them to use good judgment in picking out the retirement home for me that I'm going to need. And I want them to figure out how to pay for it. I want them to have a good mind about them. And that's something that we pray for for our children. It's not always turning out that way, though, does it? 
Sometimes the reverse takes place, and we have problems and difficulties in life, and thus we face them armed with the Word of God and our faith in God. And so I selected Psalm 127 this morning. Unless the Lord builds the house, you see, that's a building metaphor. Those who build it labor in vain. That's the skilled craftsmen involved in it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, there's the watchman type of metaphor. The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early. That's a farmer. He rises up early and to go and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he sleeps to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Heritage means gifts. God's given them to us. The fruit of the womb, a reward. The bearing and the raising of children. Such an awesome responsibility, you see. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. In other words, a successful individual here is one who rears his children and helps them see the way of truth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's study today about fathers and this wonderful admonition. The first thing that I want to talk about from the father who knows best as this Father always provides. And one of the great passages about provision would have to be Matthew chapter 7. With your Bible open and following along with me, I encourage you to read these passages. We could quote them, but I would rather read them. I think it's more meaningful when we read from our Bibles and we read it together, and we're reading from the standpoint of God's Word and applying it to ourselves. I'm in Matthew chapter 7, and I'm looking at verse 7. And there I want you to notice the tense of the verbs. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Well, the passage is about receiving blessings from the hand of God. And the tense of the verbs that I mentioned a moment ago are in the present tense. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. God knows how to give, and God wants to give to those who ask. And I'll tell you why. God is trying to tell us we need to turn to him. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. James chapter 1 and verse 17. In fact, that Bible reference should be noted in your Bible. He says he gives us wisdom, verse 5. If we pray for wisdom, God will give it to us, and he will not scold us for asking for wisdom. The point is God provides, and he wants to give, and we need to recognize he's the giver, and we turn to him out of obedient faith and ask for his blessings, and according to his will and his good pleasure for our lives, he does provide. Earthly fathers are that way. They want to give to their children. In Matthew chapter 6, you have a wonderful passage about God as a provider and as a giver. And I want to spend just a brief moment with you in this passage. It's one well worth our study. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's verse 25. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see the emphasis of the passage. God takes care of us and God provides. Notice the birds of the air. We have in our backyard a number of bird feeders, and we've kind of added to the collection over time. And one of the things that we always do, we either sit out by the window, drink coffee, and watch the birds. My favorites are the cardinals or the morning doves. I like to see them fly in. They come every morning and feed off the feeders, different ones. I got so engaged in this that I decided I'm going to buy a book on birds. And so I got uh, my bird book, and I flipped to the different pages to try to identify these birds. And um, about the time I think I've got one identified, the bird is gone. And I'm looking for all the markers, and I'm trying to line up the bird with the right bird in the book. And it's a pretty challenging task for me because I don't know that much about birds. I began to think, I wonder what these birds did before we put the feeders out there. Well, it's a good thing we put those feeders out there to feed those poor birds because those birds wouldn't be able to get along. Those birds wouldn't be able to make it, would they? Well, the truth of the matter is God provides for the birds whether we put the bird feeders out there or not. Now, I'm happy for the bird feeders. I'm happy to see the birds. I enjoy that. I enjoy watching the birds coming in and going out and the different colors and, and the activities of the birds. I just like it. Well, the point of the matter is God provides for them and cares for them whether we got bird feeders out there or not. Whether we have a water out there or not, God providing for the birds. He's going to take care of those birds. And so he gets really down to the point in verse 27 of our verse here in, in verse 6, chapter 6. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And the passage continues. Therefore be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see the point that he's making there? God is going to provide the necessities of life. Therefore, I don't have to worry about that. God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the lilies of the field. How they grow. How beautiful they are. God takes care of them. They're more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory. And God did that. The point of the matter is, I don't have to worry about that. You know what I need to be concerned about? Putting God first in my life. Now, if I don't have to worry about the necessities of life, then I can focus on the real point. I can keep the main thing the main thing. And you know what the main thing is? Prioritizing my life for what's right. The main thing is to put God at the top of my priority list. Now, I don't have to be concerned about all of that. I don't have to worry about all of that. What i got to be concerned about is putting God at the top of my list of priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the rest of these things shall be added unto you. I was on the telephone just the other day with an individual, and I was trying to express to them the sentiment expressed in Matthew 6 and 34. Notice what he said there. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what did he mean by that? 
You've got enough to be concerned about today to be worried about what might happen tomorrow. What might happen tomorrow may never happen. We don't even know if we're going to have it tomorrow. But you focus on what you need to focus on today. And what is that focus about? Putting God at the top of my list of priorities. I don't have to worry about these things. God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the lilies of the field. God's going to take care of me. But what do I need to take care of? My priority in life. And my priority in life ought to be God first at the top of my list. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the rest of these things shall be added unto you. He's telling me, God knows best. God always knows what's best. God has told me that the best thing is to seek the kingdom of God first. Are you doing that? As a father, are you seeking the kingdom of God first? Or is the kingdom of God way down on your priority list? Well, you need to reexamine that in light of what we're studying from the pages of the Bible. That's why God's provided all that he's provided. So I can seek the kingdom of God first and put him at the top of the list. But I've learned also that our Father teaches. Our Father knows best. He teaches. Does He teach? Notice how He taught the children of Israel and how He explained things to them. And He taught them in many different ways. I cited Ephesians chapter 6, and I hope that you'll turn to that in the pages of your Bible and follow along with me as I read and make notation about this particular passage. I want to analyze it briefly before you. Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, Paul, when he's writing the book of Ephesians or any of these other great Bible passages, is writing from the standpoint that his audience and his readers are going to come from all kinds of different backgrounds. You're going to have Jewish readers reading this, and they're thinking about becoming Christians. Or you're going to have Jewish readers who are Christians reading this. Or you're going to have pagans, pagans who are thinking about being Christians. And Paul knows They're going to be reading this, so I need to write this so that they understand what the will of the Lord is in the matter. Or maybe these pagans have left paganism and they've become Christians. They need to understand God's will in the matter. Or maybe it's just somebody who doesn't have any religious background at all. And he picks this up and he starts reading. And Paul, by inspiration, knows just exactly how to say it. And he says it in just exactly the right way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't matter where you come from, what kind of background you've got, a Jewish background, a pagan background, or no spiritual background at all. He's telling us very clearly, this is what's right. The children are to honor their father and their mother, and they are to follow the wisdom of mother and father. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this. this. I hope you don't think of me as some old fogey up here trying to give advice. But I'm an older man. And I'm trying to give advice to some younger children out here in this auditorium. Listen to your mother and your father. Listen to them. Because you're going to find that you're way ahead of the game if you will listen to them. That your chances of being successful in life are far enhanced if you'll listen to the wisdom of mother and father. Now, as, my, as I got older, I could see the wisdom in some of the things my dad did. Some of the things my dad said. And I think that's true with all of us. We can all share in that kind of experience. As we got older, we could see something of the instruction and the nurturing that they gave us. 
And Paul's making it very clear. You know, if you listen to your mother and your father, if you head, you know, listen up here, you know, you're going to enhance your chances of being successful in this matter. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And here's my point, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the disciplining and instruction of the Lord. Well, he's saying you teach your children. And you explain these matters to your children, and you help them along the way. One of the great verses that I think may be misunderstood, and I wish you'd help me rehabilitate this verse. It's not that the verse needs rehabilitating, but our understanding of it does. And the verse is in Psalm 22 and verse 6. Now, I've always heard this passage preached that if you teach your children the Word of God, they'll always obey the Word of God, and they'll always follow the Word of God. But I really don't think that's what he has in mind here in Proverbs 22, 6. Let me read the passage, and I'll explain it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I don't know that so much he's talking about uh, teaching them their Bible lessons, though that's important. Giving the instruction. It naturally comes into a discussion at this point about fathers. Our father has instructed us. We as fathers instruct them. But what about this verse in Proverbs 22 and verse 6? Well, this passage is probably talking about the fact that if this child has a propensity or an ability, uh, some natural inclination to do this or help feed that, help teach him so that as he gets older, he'll be able to be involved in this kind of work and pursuit of life. We know that just because I teach children or you teach your children about the Word of God doesn't guarantee that they're always going to be faithful. We know that. Some children leave. Even though they have the finest parents and the finest instruction, they choose to lead. The Proverbs 22, 6 passage is trying to emphasize the importance of train up that child and look at him as to his propensities and the natural talents that he has and try to meet that, try to feed that. Naturally involved in that is an instruction of the Word of God. Help him, teach him God's holy word. Fathers are indispensable in that matter. Flavel Yakely wrote a book not too long ago, Why They Left. I thought it to be a very interesting book. Read it not too long ago. He said, now children who have both mother and father taking them to worship service and to a Bible study, 70% of them, according to the survey, remain faithful. When only one parent... A mother, for, let's, uh, for instance, takes the children to worship service and Bible study. It drops down to only 50% chance of remaining faithful. You see, he's interviewing a large number of people as to why they left. And it seems to show statistically that the mother and the father are indispensable in this matter of encouraging faithfulness in the children. Train that child in the way he should go. Teach him. Give him the abilities that he needs and foster that, the natural inclination that he has, and at the same time teach him how to use that as a Christian man or as a Christian woman. Fathers, teach your children. Teach your children about life. Teach your children about making a way for themselves in life. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Teach your children about the way of life, God Almighty, and His purpose for them to be obedient children of God throughout life. 
I'd have to include when I talk about fathers and their, um, and their teaching, and that would be this Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage, and I want to spend a brief moment with that. I love reading from the Bible, and I enjoy it when these men get up and read for us, and I'm not going to have the time to read all of Deuteronomy 6, though I love the passage. The passage is about Moses telling the next generation, this is what you need to teach your children. This is what you need to give them. But I'll begin the reading at about verse 4. I like to start up in verse 1 and read right on down through verse 9. But let's, for time's sake, start at 4, at what is called the great Shema passage of the Old Testament. Now, that probably doesn't mean much, but that's what the Hebrews called it. It means hear, and that's the first word of the verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen up. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And what is he telling fathers to do? but to saturate their families with the Word of God and teach them, teach them, teach them, explain and point out and illustrate. This is what the Word of God says. This is what you need to do. God is expecting this of us, and this is what we as a family are going to do. After all, you remember what Joshua said a long ago. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You make up that point in your mind, we're going to do this. Now, fathers also discipline their children. And our Father, who always knows best, disciplines, and we should expect that to happen. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 12 isolates this particular point and emphasizes it for us. And in the passage, he is saying, now, you can expect the disciplining of the Lord. But I want you to understand something. It's because He loves you. It's because He loves you. He's disciplining you. So I'm going to read a few verses out of Hebrews chapter 12, and I hope you follow along with me. I'm in verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. For it is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and life? Now, this wonderful passage continues on. God does discipline, and we should expect the same. Sometimes we disobey. And we can expect the disciplining of God. But it's because He loves us. My dad used to say, Son, it's going to hurt me much more than it hurts you. And I always doubted that particular formulation. But as I grew older, I understood exactly what he was saying. And I heard him say it more than once. He said it with some kind of regularity. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. What he was saying was, I really don't want to have to do this. I really want you to be successful. I don't want you to fail. 
I'm doing this because I want you to learn better. And so he did. And our Heavenly Father does the same. He disciplines us. He expects us to succeed. And he disciplines us in order for us to succeed. So don't look lightly upon the chastening and the disciplining of the Lord because he's trying to teach and he's trying to motivate and he's trying to help us in his wonderful way. Now God told Adam in the long ago, don't eat of that tree in the midst of the garden. Don't do it. When you eat of that tree in the midst of the garden, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, Adam lived to be over 900 years old. But on the day that he ate of that forbidden fruit, he died. He died spiritually. And there was no longer that relationship that he had with God that he once had. Now, it was all different because sin had separated between him and God. And God disciplined them for that. Expect it. Our Father knows best. A father disciplines his children to help train them and teach them because he loves them and he wants them to be a success. The father that does not discipline and the father that does not train does not love that child enough to give that child what they really need, the instruction about how to live. Now I also notice Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and I like this verse because it gives me some insight into why the disciplining and the training. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, and I'm thankful for that, verse 9. But is patient toward you, and I'm very thankful for that. Not willing that any should perish. You see, He wants us to be successful. He wants us to do what's right. But that shall, but should reach, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to repent. That's the instruction of the disciplining and the chastening and the motivation of the Lord so that we will be successful spiritually. But I promised you that I'd talk about the love of our Father, and I want to do that. It's my fourth point today. I have four points, and this is the fourth. Then 1 John chapter 4, beginning at about verse 7, you have this wonderful discussion about God's love. How much God loved us. Now, we could spend all of our time on this wonderful point, couldn't we? We could look at the Old Testament and we could look at the New Testament and we could gain so many important lessons about how much God loves us. And Isn't it a great point? Notice, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means covering, the payment. Jesus is the payment for our sin. God loved us. He sent His Son. The Father always knows best. And a good Father loves his children. The question I might ask is, why? Why did God love us so much? John chapter 15 and 10, love obeys. If you really love, you're going to keep the commandments of God. Notice in John 3, 16, God so loved the world. You know that great passage? Everybody knows that verse, John 3, 16. But you know the word that stands out for me in that verse? And you could quote it, I know, and we could read it. 
And that word so, it's not that just God so loved the world. God so loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The love of God the Father. He knows best. Romans 5.8. I love Romans 5.8 because it talks about the fact that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You ought to mark Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. What a great verse that is out of the Bible. John 3.16, a great verse on love. But Romans 5.8 is also a great verse on love. And the question I pose, why? Why is it that God loved us so much? Why is it that God would go to such lengths as He has for us? We're made in His image. We have an eternal soul that will live somewhere in eternity. God, out of love, created us and created us in His image. And by doing so, gave us a part of himself, his soul. And what God did was he would reach down and take a little bit of this terra firma and there in turn breathe some of itself into it, form and fashion and create man. Man became a living soul. And he planted a garden eastward into Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, Genesis 2, verse 7 and verse 8. God so loved that he created us and he made it possible that we should live and be with Him. But you know, the interesting thing about that is He doesn't force us. Good Father's that way. He invites us. In Luke chapter 15, you have three parables. One parable is about a lost sheep. Now, the lost sheep, from what I can surmise from the point really was lost due to his own neglect. You know how sheep can be. They wander away from the rest of the flock, and here's one that's lost, and the shepherd realized there was a lost lamb. So he leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one that is lost, and when he finds it, he rejoices. This one was negligent. A lot of times people are that way. They're negligent with regard to their salvation, and they become lost. And then they have this lost coin. He talks about a woman who had ten silver coins, and she lost one. Now, the coin is kind of an inanimate object. Uh, somebody's got to go after that coin. Uh, The shepherd went after the lost sheep. The woman went after the lost coin and found it. But then you have two lost boys here. I say two. One was a prodigal son, the younger, and the other was the elder son. A story could be given with regard to him and his problem. And this boy made a choice. He said, Father, give me your inheritance. I'm doing this on my own. I've made this decision. I've made this choice. And he took what he had coming to him, and he threw it away, the text says, in riotous living. And when he had nothing, he desired to eat the husks that the hogs would leave. And he came to himself. I tell you what, in a lot of ways, I think I can relate to that prodigal, that wasteful son. He realized this is not going to work. He came to himself. Now, in my father's house, the lowest servant has plenty to eat, and here I'm starving to death in the hog pen. I see a need here. I see something that I have to do. Now, the father did not go pursuing the son. Now, the shepherd went pursuing the sheep. The woman went pursuing the coin. But the father's waiting for the son to come to himself and realize there's a better way to live. I can go to my father's house. And so he arose and went The fact that this boy did something about his condition and his father sees him in a far off distance which tells me the father was looking for him, wanting him to come. There when he saw him coming, he rejoiced. He killed the fatted calf. 
He put the robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and the shoes on his feet. The son that was lost has now returned. But that son had to make the choice. That boy had to decide, this is what I'm going to do. He had a choice to make. God could have made us like little robots where everybody always does exactly the right thing all the time. But where would the glory be in that? But because God made us in His own image, He gave us freedom to choose. And when I freely choose to do what's right and obey a Father who always knows what's best, Angels in glory rejoice. You've got to make that choice. You've got to decide. I'm going to leave this pig pen that I'm living in. It's not worth it. I'm going to start living like a Christian ought to live. And I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to confess my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins just like the Bible teaches me. I'm going to rise up and walk in a newness of life, a new way to live. And in turn, I'm going to be added to the Lord's church, the church you read about in the pages of the Bible. And God is patiently waiting for the prodigal to come home. That's you and me. And He wants it. Good fathers are that way. They love their children. And they want their children to be successful. And you can be successful spiritually by coming to Christ today. I hope you will. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.